Hey guys, you're listening to another episode of Nick Talk. I'm your host, Nikki James, and today I have a an old friend of mine on. His name is uh, Hesh Sagafi, and he is a 22-year uh, experienced vet in the mortgage industry. He is CEO of Liberty Mortgage uh, Corporation, and he's an expert speaker. And without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome my very good friend... Mr. Hesh Sagafi. What's up, Hesh? I'm doing great, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. Um, I've listened to your show. I've seen the other people you have on, and I don't know if you like me saying this or not, but I still can't figure out how in the world I'm on your show when you've had, like, (laughs) massively famous people who have accomplished 10,000 times more than I'll ever have in the next 10 lifetimes. So I sincerely appreciate it. But yeah, very impressive lineup you've had. Thank you. You're so humble. But I'll tell you what, I think you have accomplished um, some amazing things too. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. Um, But I also wanted to talk about um, what you do and how we can bring a little bit more education to people who don't know like what it is that you do at all, period. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, at the end of the day, I do mortgages. So if somebody's buying a home, Mm-hmm. Only financing a home. I'm the guy that gives them the money to go do that. So if somebody says, hush, I'm looking for a home now, Lord knows you're in California. So your average uh, house price out there is, gee Louise, six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars 900000 Right. I'm in Ohio. I'm Cleveland, Ohio, of course, the Rockville capital of the world, where the average sales price of a home is around, actually, I think it's two eleven. You know, so it's significantly lower in my neck of the woods. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you are, though. If you're looking to purchase a home, you, you know, and you're not paying cash, you have to go somewhere to get a loan to get that house. And that's me. So I'm a mortgage lender. It's what I do. I've done it for 22 years. Mm-hmm. I help people do that. Um, you know, the biggest thing I tell people is just, um, you know, I do loans to help them, but I, I suppose overall I'm, I'm a problem solver. You come to me with a problem, especially if it's dealing with finance and, you know, dealing with buying a house, I can help you figure it out. Yeah. That reminded me of like, if you get a problem, you'll have to solve it. Right. <laughs> it's a rap song, but um, <laughs> everything to me reminds me of a song. But okay, I That's want <laughs> I want to uh, I want to talk about the basics of um, you know you said if if you need a loan you go to you. Um, I know I've heard some people go to the bank. Why would someone come to you over just going straight to the bank? That's a great question, and I get asked that all. I mean, for goodness sake, for twenty years I've I've heard that question. Okay. At the end of the day. I believe that I'm much more service oriented than a bank is when it comes to interest rates, you know, because again, something, there's a couple of things that I sell. Okay. One is tangible. One is not tangible. The tangible item is the interest rate. You know, 30 year fixed interest rate right now is 2.5 to 3%. That's tangible. You could see it in front of you and people understand what a number is. They know that in the world of interest rates, two is better than three and three is better than four. Mm -hmm. So that's tangible. They understand it. The intangible side is the service. You know, last night at 9 o'clock at night on Sunday, I'm texting back and forth with a customer. Actually, that customer, where were they at? They were in um, Texas, as a matter of fact. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. It's Sunday night, 9 o'clock my time, 8 o'clock Texas time. And this customer is texting me, you know, I want to buy a home. What can I do? You will not text a bank on a Sunday evening. You will not text a bank on a weekday beyond 5 o'clock and get a hold of anybody. Um, So the intangible side of what I sell is service, service, knowledge, commitment. So as far as, well, Hesh, why would somebody use you over a bank? Uh, My rates and fees or their rates and fees are 
in line with mine. We're all the same. When it comes to programs, generally, we're all the same, generally. Mm-hmm. When it comes to service, I, I smoke them 10 times a day and 50 on Sunday. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not even close. It's not even a comparison. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. I had no idea. Uh, yeah. That, that. See, I have never bought a home myself um, because I, I travel so much that it's not worth it for me. Um, I know, especially when you're overseas. See, I don't do loans overseas, so I know I can never help you when you are in, uh, you know, in London and places like yeah, that. Yeah. Correct. When you're over there, but the bottom, the biggest thing of all that I tell, I mean, so that's the that's the what I do. You know, um, it's like you're saying anything. They find, discover why you do anything, and you'll never work another day in your life. Um, but the what I do is simple. It's, I give mortgages to people who are borrowing money to buy a home. That's simple. As far as my competition in the market and things like that, generally speaking, uh, last year in 2020, um, there was $4.1 trillion of mortgage loans done in the United States. That's a ton. And real estate is something that's never going to go anywhere. Long after I'm gone from this planet, it's still going to be happening. People are going to be wanting to buy homes and refinance homes and do all of that. So, I mean, the crux of what I do is easy. It's, it's a very vanilla, it's a very big part of the uh, economy, um, real estate and what goes with it in financing makes up a lot of the economy and of how we operate as an economy. Um, why I do it's a bit, I suppose the why of it and um, separating myself amongst other things is what I do just as much as the other people you've had on your, your, your show are much, you know, they're successful, but I think there's a bigger reason behind what has driven them to be successful beyond just what they do. Right, exactly. And I wanted to get into that as well. I wanted to hear, you know, your story on, on how you even got to this point. Like, what did you always want to go into, um, you know, home mortgages? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because, you know, um, I don't, it, it's, it's funny because ultimately, like, I tell my friends all the time, when you were in first grade and the teacher had us, you know, in first grade, I had Mrs. Warrock. You know, I love my old my school teachers from when I was growing <laughs> up. I think they're the greatest, you know, besides my parents, my family, my neighborhood, I grew up in my, my school teachers, the greatest uh, people I've ever had in my life. So Mrs. Warrock was my first grade teacher. Well, we used to sit around in a circle and we would have like, you know, let, we're going to play a game. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I don't think anybody put their hand up and said, I want to be a loan officer or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, people put their hand up and said, I want to be an astronaut and a lawyer and a doctor and a, the president of the United States and a famous football player. I don't think anybody said, I want to be a mortgage loan officer. So this right. was definitely not a job that I worked towards or I dreamed about doing. Um, my whole life, I wanted to be a doctor. And long story short, I had a disagreement with my parents when I was getting out of college. Mm-hmm. And like all kids who are probably 21, 22, 23 years old, you can't tell them anything, not even, you know, especially your parents. I mean, I, I think I used to just do things out of spite, even though I know what they were saying was right. I would probably just do the complete opposite just to either upset them or because I was just, I was a little jerk. Yeah. Um, I can't say I was a jerk. I was always polite and respectful. I was never insubordinate to my parents, but I think I was very argumentative respectfully. Um, ultimately, my family's all doctors. It's a path I should have gone down. It didn't quite finish in that manner. So, when I wasn't going to be a doctor, um, I was looking for something else to do in my life. And quite honestly, I, I didn't really have a focus. I didn't have anything. Now, I, uh, I, I had a biology degree, which you couldn't really do much with. And I was looking, I was flipping houses. I was day trading in the stock market, 
That was during the tech bubble of 1999. Mm-hmm. I was running the security, a lot of dance clubs and bars in Cleveland. Um, I, I mean, I was doing a lot of different things because I was simply looking for ways to make money. And that's kind of the way my mind has always operated is that if doing this action or activity here makes me $1,000, what if I multiply that times 10? Does mm-hmm. it then become 10,000? What if I multiply that times 10? Does it then become a hundred thousand, a million? And just, so my mind has always worked and operated in that form that if, if you take something that's working and you simply duplicate it and scale it up, you're going to make more money and be more successful. So my one friend was doing mortgages and honestly, I started doing them kind of on the side. I didn't take the job seriously until I was about three years into the job. And that's where I determined like, holy cow, like I, I think this could really be something that really vaults me to where I want to get. What I always tell people is I always have, two, I have two goals in life. Um, one, my first goal, my number one goal is deeply personal. And I kind of leave that off to the side whenever I do talks like this or even just talking anyways. My close friends know what it is. My second goal is money. I, it's a financial goal. My financial goal is it's not the end of what I want. It's simply a means to achieve what my ultimate goal is. So making money, I, I tell people a lot of different things. Whoever invented the saying, um, money doesn't buy happiness, never had money. Okay. Because I will right. tell you, I've been dead broke. I've gone bankrupt almost twice. You know, I've gone bankrupt, almost gone bankrupt twice during this job and this career that I'm in. Um, I mean, I was living check to check. I mean, in 2000, May of 2002, I charged up $54,000 on my credit card when I opened my first business. Well, my first mortgage company is what I should say. That wasn't my first business. That was my first mortgage company. Um, I charged over $54,000 onto my credit card. I was choking to death. And when people would ask me how I was doing, I would simply lie and say I was doing great. When on the inside, I was like, I'm doing horrible. I've got to move back to my parents' house probably. Um, I ended up paying all that off. I met with my bankruptcy attorney, Dave Wildbacher, at that time. And I didn't go bankrupt, but it's something you know, we talked about. Well, then fast forward to March of 2009, at that time, I had over $600,000 racked up on my credit card, mm. drowning financially. I mean, just drowning. I mean, I was, I'll remember in my home, I mean, in Cleveland, I live in a nice home. It, you take my home out to California, it's, it's, my goodness, it's probably worth $25 million out there. Um, but in Cleveland, it's a pretty nice home. I live on a golf course, it's a nice little golf course, whatever. I remember sitting there eating Campbell's soup out of a can and thinking, what a joke this is. I live on a golf course, this gigantic, beautiful home, and I can't afford much more than Campbell's soup and Raymond noodles, and I'm, I'm eating this food, and this is just a joke. You know, mm-hmm. I just, and I'm dead broke. My credit cards are maxed out. I couldn't cash advance them anymore. I mean, just, just choking to death. Well, I met with Dave again. We went over filing for bankruptcy again. I ended up not doing it, but man, it was, it was, brutal financially. Um, it was, it was brutal. So two times I've almost gone bankrupt in this career. And, but what I always tell people is that, um, I never gave up on the simple belief that I knew I could achieve what I put my mind to if I put in the time, energy and effort. And I refused to give up on that. And ultimately things turned. I mean, they turned and they turned very hard. They didn't turn fast. I can tell you that one. It took, it took a while. It wasn't until 2000, 2017 mm-hmm. that the tide started to turn. I never went bankrupt. I ended up paying all the debt back. What was it? Um, that, that what was, was it that turned that tide? Do you know? Well, I can tell you exactly what it was. Um, I, I ended up going into business for myself and taking full control over everything okay. up until 2014. 
I worked for companies mm-hmm. or I worked in a position that I relied upon other companies to really help my business move along. Okay. Um, it wasn't until 2014 when I was able to break away from that finally and open this company now, which I own Liberty home mortgage and, um, and then really take full control over operating everything. My habits didn't really change. My habits have never changed quite honestly. Um, I work seven days a week. I'm, I go nonstop. Um, it's what I do, but that really, it was control. I also had a partner in business, um, you know, and that was something that I, I always tell when I go do speeches or talks at different universities that are out there. Um, one of the first things I say jokingly, and then I'll fix it. I'll say, okay, guys, I, I'm, I'm actually being part serious on that one because it gets people laughing a little bit. I'll say rule number one of business. Do you want to be successful? Don't have a partner. First rule of business. Do not have a partner. I've had people say, actually, yeah, but if you're, you know, Microsoft, you know, they need a, they have a board of directors. Okay, great. When you're a billionaire someday and you want, you have a hundred thousand employees, I'll rethink my statement. Mm. When you're opening up a small business of yourself and two other people, don't go into partnerships. Um, and there'll be a lot of people that we can debate that. And that's a whole other show you and I can do over <laughs> why partners are bad. Okay, um, but at the end of the day, there's, there's multiple things, too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, there should not be one more than one cook in the kitchen. Take five five-star chefs and shove them in the kitchen together. Let me know how good the food comes out. Don't have stabbing each other to death, for goodness sake. Um, so I broke away from a lot of that. And, you know, I finally was able to break off and go my own direction. And when I did, uh, things really turned. But I will tell you, it was brutal financially. Uh, there were a lot of days that I wanted to quit and um, just just really stop. I mean, there, there comes a point when... You ask yourself, are you chasing something that's simply in your imagination? I used to say that to my, one of my best friends all the time. I would say, I ask myself a lot, like, is what I'm imagining the success that I believe that I can achieve? Is it simply in my mind and I'm, I'm going to be chasing something that I never, I never reach? Or is it legitimately real and I just have to keep my head down and just keep moving forward? And I know there's a picture you know, if you go through Instagram and you scroll through it, there's a picture of two people digging for diamonds and it shows the one person turning away um, from, you know, he's, he's given up the dig and he's literally one swing away where it shows on the other side of the dirt is like this pile of diamonds and he's been digging and digging and digging for God knows hundreds of yards and feet and miles or whatever. And he, he takes his pick and he puts it down, but he's one, his, He's one swing away from getting it, but he mm-hmm. gives up and quits and turns away. And like, that's what I've always kind of thought about myself was like, man, is like, is this just, you know, is this dream of making millions of dollars just a dream and it's in my imagination or is this legitimately something that's tangible and can be realized if I keep my head down? And, you know, I had a lot of people tell me I was nuts and I could not achieve it. So I had a lot of people supporting, quitting and going a different direction. Mm-hmm. But um, luckily for myself, I, I did not quit and give up. And I do say that a lot is that if I could do anything today, you know, right now, I would, I would love to go back in time and shake my own hand and say, thanks for not quitting. Oh. I have so many, so many reasons and so many, so much. I mean, just $600,000 in credit card debt. The minimum payments were $20,000 a month. I would, you talk about robbing Peter to pay Paul. I was robbing Peter, Paul 
did anyone else out of the Bible. I, I've never read the Bible, so I know it comes from that Bible. I, I believe it comes from the Bible. So, I mean, anyone I can get money from, man, I, I was borrowing yeah. it to, to, to pay debt. I mean, it was it was bad. I'll never forget March of 09 when Bank of America said we will no longer allow you to cash advance your credit card. Mm-hmm. I was standing in my dishwasher in my kitchen. I got a bit of a freakish memory, but and people would say, how she have such a memory? I don't. It was important to me. Right. I remember things that are important to me. Human beings do. You know, I mean, yeah. people who got married, they remember where they were when they got married. They remember where they were when they, they gave birth to their first child or mm-hmm. their fifth child. You know, it's, I remember certain moments in my career, in my life, and that's one of them. March right. of 09, when, when I called Bank of America, I said, hey, I've got to go do cash advance for payroll. Well, I want to make sure it'll go through. They said no. And that was like right during the uh, the 2008, 2009. That was like the, the um, housing crisis, wasn't it? It was, but that wasn't the reason for my crash. I tried to expand my business. And ultimately, that's a, I suppose that's another show that we'll do is talk you. What I've learned in business is you want to talk to fewer people more than more people fewer times. I think I love that. Um, back, yeah, back at that time, I thought if I, if I fly all over the country and get my message out there, I'll get more business. It was the complete reverse. Um, it's, the, it's simply the complete reverse. It's, right. it's speak to own the hearts, minds, and souls of individuals one at a time. That's how you grow a business. Now you want to identify whose heart, soul, and mind are you going after. You want them to be relevant and important for your business. Um, I actually sat down and, and uh, whew, that was January of 2002. It was the Chicago Bears versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And at the Ditka's restaurant, I sat down with a gentleman who was worth $800 million. He showed me a plan, which I have kind of advanced and taken a little further. I call it the three circles of success the three circles of success. And he also showed me something of how to build a wedding list. And um, I took that and simply applied it to every single thing I've ever done in business. And it works. It works. It works unbelievably well, unbelievably well. And um, that's really what I built my business on. Um, I, I tried expanding it in the markets that, that, uh, that, that there's certain, I, I made changes to that plan. Quite honestly, is what happened. I made changes to that plan, and at the end of the day, I should not have made changes to that plan. I should have stuck to that plan. But I ultimately uh, cut off the, the pieces that were costing me money, and I went back to the basic plan that I learned. Everything mm-hmm. just took off, and I never looked back. Wow. I had a lot of people that had some questions for you because they knew that I was going to have you on the show. So I'm going to ask you a couple just quick questions that people um, that I know wanted me to ask you. I appreciate you coming. Right. Away. So one individual asked um, what you think the changes are going to be uh, in the housing market now with the um, with COVID. Nothing. In real estate, there's not going to be a crash. I actually did a seminar and presentation uh, last month on uh, January on this one. There is 2021 is going to be, this is going to be the biggest decade in the history of real estate in our country, period affordability has never been at a better level. Homes are affordable right now. So mm-hmm. affordability is way up. Demand is way up and demand is going to continue to increase. Supply is the problem. That is the one factor that nobody can account for. Nobody can predict and nobody can identify when exactly that's going to change. The problem in housing right now is not a problem of demand. It's not a problem of um, affordability. It's a problem of supply. Supply, however, this is not like the automotive industry where we have a supply shortage on 
SUVs and Ford Motors just starts picking up the, the, the assembly line and crushes out another 50,000 in a week and a half. Housing is, our supply is different. It comes out different. Um, it's precipitated differently than coming off of a production line. Um, unlike a lot of industries, if not all industries, our supply is dependent upon humans and human emotion, whereas 99% of the supplies in any industry out there are created um, through like an assembly line format. You know, if you want to buy more refrigerators or whatever you want, they just crank out more. They just build more assembly and crank it out. Mm-hmm. When it comes to housing, it's not like that. H- housing is going to boom. There is not some big, gigantic crash coming. There is not some foreclosure crisis looming um, because it's your show. I've spoken on a couple of other shows. Well, actually, because shows like this are recorded and they're kind of public, I don't curse. Um, when the truth is, you know, every third word that I say, if my mother saw these things, she'd probably be upset if she heard me talk. <laughs> I don't curse on these, but I would tell you, I feel so sur- I, I despise these people that do this doom and gloom of foreclosure crisis yeah. is looming. I've yeah. got all the data. I've got all the statistics. I've lived it for 22 years. There is not only not a housing crisis, this is going to be the biggest boom we've ever seen. Nice. So because of the biggest boom, um, people that are maybe first-time homebuyers are ready to go buy one, you're saying they should. this would be the perfect time to do that. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's the best time to sell. It's the best time to buy. Okay. Now, if you had talked to me in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. I would say this is the best time to buy. Buy everything you can buy. Put everything you've got on housing. Every dollar of your life, put it on housing, residential housing. Mm-hmm. I'd have told you that in 2007, 9, 10, 11, 12. If you had talked to me in 2004, 5, 6, I'd have said get out of this market right now. Mm-hmm. It's overly inflated. There's a bubble. Now, mind you, I, w- I, did, I was not telling people that housing is going to go down 50% foreclosures will be the most in history next to the Great Depression. I, would, I, I was not saying that. Nobody could predict the crisis that we saw. Okay. However, I was saying that it's overinflated. Do not put your money in there. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this right now. The stock market's overinflated. Right. By how much, I don't know. When is the pullback going to happen? I don't know. I'm not a stock market investor. I'm mm-hmm. not a financial advisor. I can't tell you where to park the money. There's places you could park your money safely right now mm-hmm. without worrying when the stock market crashes. There are places to put your money. However, the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ are overinflated. When it's over 30000 the Dow is, give me a break. And it's had a, it's had a run since 2009 or 2011, I want to say. It's just straight up. Right. Stock market's overinflated. Housing is not. We've had a steady increase since 2010 and 11. And again, I've got all the statistics, all the data. The biggest housing has ever been, the most home sales ever in the history of our country was 2005, mm-hmm. 7.1 million housing units. 2020, it was 5.6 million housing units. We are not even close to what the peak of the housing industry is. Not even close. Okay, right. The stock market, the thousands, over 30,000. Even during the boom in the 90, in 1999, during the tech bubble, it broke 10,000 which was nuts. It was over 10, 11,000 in 2019, 11. It's over 30,000. These are uncharted territories and waters that we're in, in the stock market. Housing, we are nowhere near where the levels were at over a decade ago. It's not even close to that. So no, it's, so now this is the first time in a three decade span that it's a good time to buy. And it's a good time to sell. It's good on both sides. In 2000, 7, 8, 9, 10, 2004, 5, 6, 
bad time to buy, good time to sell. 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, great time to buy, horrible time to sell. Okay. 2016, 17, 18, great time. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's been good to get in or out. Mm-hmm. This is the peak of getting out right now. Right yeah. now is a great time to sell. Okay, good because that's uh, that was some of the other questions that you answered just uh, just talking through that. Um, another question I have for you is: Do you think there'll be any changes in the housing um, industry with the new president? No. Okay. No, there won't be. I mean, here's something for you: is that um, I of course don't want to get political, and then mm-hmm. Lord knows, you know, I hope my home still when I get home. Um, <laughs> Here's a reality check. Whether I agree or disagree with President, President-elect Biden, President Biden, whether I agree or disagree, here's the bottom line, is I started this job when President Clinton was in office, mm-hmm. then President Bush took office for two terms, then President Obama for two terms. So I've seen a Democrat mm-hmm. at the tail end getting out, a Republican twice getting twice in, and a Democrat twice with President Obama, then President Trump back to Republican, now going back to a Democrat. Here's reality. And this is the cornerstone, Nikki, of success. Mm-hmm. This is the cornerstone of it, okay? okay? I don't care if Mickey Mouse is in there, okay? Some things that will not change are me getting up in the morning, what I think when I wake up, what my commitment to my job is, how I diet, how I exercise, the thoughts that go through my, my mind. I do not dwell on negative thoughts. I refuse to quit and give up. I have a plan and I stick to my plan. I have a short-term plan and a long-term plan. President Biden's not going to affect that any, nor did President Trump, by the way. Now, might President Biden raise my taxes? Sure. Um, that the, Democrat, the Democratic platform is based on raising taxes in certain tax brackets over other tax brackets. Might my taxes go up? Yes. Might they do other things? Um, I, I don't know. Might they do other things with other parts to the economy that I disagree with? Sure. Um, I've heard about home buyer tax credits and things like that. They did that back in 2008 and nine. Our problem is not that there's, our problem is not creating more home buyers. It's creating home sellers. Right. You know, it's, it's raising the inventory. It's not raising the demand. Um, so there's certain things I disagree with, but here's reality. This country has been around since the 1700s. Okay. Right. Yeah. 1776. Right. Um, it's been around for hundreds of years. I've got a feeling it's going to be around for hundreds more. <laughs> Lord knows even with that statement, there's going to be people out there, you know, screaming that the country's coming to an end. This country is not coming to an end. The new presidency is not going to do anything that significantly affects housing. I was right. I told people in 2007 the crash was coming. I was right then. I told people in 2012 that we were at the bottom and we were starting to uh, level out. I was right then. I told people in 2018, 19, and 20 that a market correction was coming. I didn't say it was coming in real estate. I said it was coming overall. I didn't predict coronavirus, for goodness sake. I was right then, and I'm right now with what I'm saying. All right, well, great. Um, I like it. I figured that's how you would answer. You're always so good with these. And I love how... Um, just how positive you are. Um, but I do want to talk about something a little bit negative uh, that people are, are worried about. I know um, people that are homeowners that have used their property as, um, you know, income, right? By sell, uh, leasing out or Airbnb, you know, whatever. Uh, they're worried about COVID non-payments. Do you know much about that? Is that non-payments on your mortgage? Yeah, it's it. Well, it's yes, sure. it's non-payments on your mortgage because you know when sure. you're renting Absolutely. it. As far as I know, here's what I know: uh, the person that asked me this is renting some homes out, and uh, his tenants are not paying that, but 
he as the homeowner still has to pay it. So Okay, he has to pay the mortgage is what he's saying. Yes. Okay, this is what you're looking at. Okay. If your mortgage loan is owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or Ginny Mae, if it's owned by one of those three agencies, mm-hmm. then they have to comply with the government forbearance plan, mm-hmm. which is called the COVID forbearance plan. In order to find out if Fannie, Freddie, or Ginny owns your mortgage, if they're the true end investor, call the servicer and you could ask them that question. Okay. If they if it is not owned by those agencies, they do not have to comply with the government forbearance program. Now, 20% of the mortgages in the, well, Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny own 80% of the mortgages in the United States. 20% are not owned. When you get, when you go through that number, well, what does 20% represent? It's definitely not the bulk of the loans in the United States. But as far as homeowners go, that's like 10 to 15 million homeowners. Right. So it's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that 10 to 15 million people out there cannot participate or, you know, their servicer will not participate in that program. So they're stuck. They've got to make those payments. Yeah. And in those cases, sell the house, get rid right. of the debt, call your servicer, see if you can negotiate with them, see if it's available to do the modification or the forbearance or number two, get that talk to a real estate agent, get that house in the market as soon as possible. People have got to remove their emotions from those decisions and they have to make business decisions. It's just that simple of an equation. Right. And again, it's, it's not that simple, but it's simple. Yeah. Now you're, you're, are you only in the residential market? I'm only in the residential market. I stay out of commercial. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was wondering about that too and how COVID was affecting, you know, here in Los Angeles, you can be driving on the highway. You look over to the right and see this, uh, high rise, you know, community being built and it's just at a standstill. I was just wondering if you knew anything about that, but well, it, it, the the bottom line still it always goes back to this. It always goes back to this. I'm reading a book right now called um, from uh, it's the story of Continental Airlines. Okay. From from worst to first. Okay. It's from worst to first or from last to first. Um, I think his name is Gordon Bethune. He wrote the book. It's on it's on the resurrection of Continental Airlines. Okay. I'm currently like uh, I'm I'm 110 pages in. It's a 300 page book. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the pages I read yesterday, he said that. They went continental back in the mid nineties was about to go into bankruptcy for the third time. And he said he went to his creditors and it was not going into bankruptcy a third time, which they never did, but it was to stay out of bankruptcy. He went to his creditors and he negotiated with them. And even after they negotiated a deal with his creditors to lower the interest rate on the loans, the continental airlines took out mm-hmm. on the a 300, uh, the, the Airbuses. He said about six months later, they had to go and renegotiate again. He said, but I knew if we do not go and start the conversation and have the conversation, we're guaranteed to fail. Guaranteed. We had to go and talk. So I would tell that anybody out there listening that says, well, how should you do residential? What about commercial? Simple call. Call a creditor. And when you say, I've tried calling them. Go talk to a supervisor. Go to the next level, the next level, the next level. That's all you can do. You've You've got to have communication going. Right. Okay. You've got to have those lines open. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to ask you too, someone asked, uh, what is a common misconception? Um, they're the most basic common misconception about a mortgage company. The biggest, the biggest misconception about a mortgage company is that, holy cow, that's it. You know, you know what's crazy this one is? 
I don't think I've ever really been asked that one there. I would say the um, the rates and fees are the same as everybody else, generally. Okay. Generally, rates and fees overall, it's on the individual. It, well, um, Quicken Loans is the largest lender in the United States, period. Mm-hmm. They're number one top in volume there is, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Wells Fargo, I want to say, is number two. Chase Bank, I want to say, is number three. At the end of the day, everybody is generally the same. It's the individual you are talking to. There's a lot of people out there that will tell you Quicken Loans had a bad experience with Quicken Loans. There's a lot more people. There's a lot of people out there that have a great experience. It's the individual you are working with. Right. So don't get too hung up on the hash, our mortgage brokers, good and bad. Should I go to a bank? Should I not go to a bank? Right. The individual. Have a conversation with them. Okay. You know, if, if you see the feeling you get off of them, talk to them. Ask them what their experience is. How long have you done this? I'm coming to you to to give me a mortgage. This is a financial tool to buy a home. How long have you done this? How how many transactions do you do? When can I get a hold of you? How well do you know this job? Mm-hmm. Those are the questions to ask somebody. I'm sitting in Cleveland. You're sitting in California. We do loans in California. I'm talking to you right now, just like I talked to somebody in Cleveland buying a home. Okay. You know, so those are the biggest things I tell people is to pay attention to who. Uh, it's the individual, not the company necessarily. Okay. So do individuals have to seek you out or when you're looking for um, a home, does the real estate agent get in touch with you? How's that work? Um, well, I mean, it's relationship based, you know me. So if somebody comes to you and says, Nikki, I need a, I need to buy a house. I know you do it all the time. You say, call hash, you text my number and you group text me, you group text us and you do things like that. Um, I love to say that I'm on every billboard going up and down uh, the 405 <laughs> <You are>. freeway. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have that much money. Um, I'm in, I'm in billboards in Cleveland. I was going to say, but you are in Ohio. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm somewhere out there, okay? So, I mean, I am on social media and places like that. So, I mean, you know, talk to your friends, talk to your family, get referrals, go to the people who have used other people and, and get a get a feeling for where they are and, you know, you go from there. But what I mean is like for a first-time homebuyer who's just looking, who's, they, they've saved enough money, they haven't really done a whole lot of research, they're just in the starting, you know, part of it and uh, they found a house that they like on Zillow, right? Yep. How? And how do they go about buying that home? Yeah. Well, there's a, on Zillow, there's a lot of, it'll show preferred lenders that Zillow has, preferred lenders. Mm-hmm. And I would say to click on one of those preferred lenders and it'll take you to that lender and uh, you give that lender a call. Okay. So how do they bypass that and just have you do everything? <laughs> well, they could call me on the phone, of course. Uh, 216-780-1103 is my number. So I'm going to do a shameless plug for myself. But well, we're going to have to do that again. in 35 states. I'm not sure. Do that again. Oh, I was just so, going to... Go ahead. I'm not good at advertising for myself, quite honestly. I should probably do a better job. I mean, quite honestly, we, we, I have a pretty decent-sized marketing budget, um, but I'm not in all parts of the country. I am in 35 states. California is one of them, mm-hmm. of course. Um, I would say that. Um, you know, reach out to somebody you know or call me or call you or reach yeah. out when they want. So the employees that you have work for you, what is what what are their titles? Like what are they are they loan officers or we have lo- we have loan officers, loan processors, intake, um, insurers, um, underwriters, post closers, closers, pre closers. I mean I suppose there's a lot of different jobs. It's the cool thing about my job in my industry is you can there's every position has to know a little bit about other positions Mm -hmm. and you're never hemmed into one position. You can go into one position after two to three to four years, pivot into another position. That's what's so cool about my job 
is you could pivot between positions and jobs and things like that. So, I mean, I just think um, it's a great industry for that reason. It's, it's all on you. Um, it's sort of like the sport of wrestling. You know, I've wrestled my whole life. Of course, I don't compete anymore, for goodness sake. I can barely bend over and tie my shoes. Um, but it's like the sport of wrestling. You know, um, it's an individual sport. One person walks into the center of a circle versus one other person, and you just beat the hell out of each other and see who wins, okay? But when you walk out of that circle, you have a team waiting there for you, and you are a team. You know, I wrestled at Oklahoma State University. We won a team NCAA national championship in 1994. Um, we won that as a team. You know, without Mark Branch doing what Mark Branch did, thank goodness for Mark. And if Mark ever listens to this podcast, I love him to death. He's like a brother to me. Um, without Mark stepping up and doing what he did, which to this day is un has not been matched in the NCAA history, um, unranked, unseated, winning the whole damn thing. If he doesn't do that, we don't win a team title. So we, we had other national champions that year. We had Pat Smith win his fourth title. We had Alan Free win a national title. We had other national champions, other national finalists, multiple All-Americans. But without Mark doing what he did, we do not win the team title. And here I am, 20, but, uh, we won it in 94. So it's 27 years later. I'm talking about it on your show, and you're based in California. Here I'm talking about something that occurred 27 years ago from what an individual did as an individual performance, but carried the whole team. And that's the cool thing about my industry is that even though it's individual, each person has to perform individually, it's a team effort collectively, and that's what makes you great. And I think that's the company that I've built here, and that's what I'm working on building even more of. That's really great. Okay. Um, and so if you had to give some financial advice, um, other than put all of your money into the real estate industry, um, what could you, what else could you give right now from what you've been seeing through your trends in real estate? I, the biggest thing I tell people is this is identify your why, why do you wait? Why do you get out of bed every single day? Okay. It, why do you get out of bed? It's that simple identify why you get out of bed and every single time across the day that you question it, you feel sad, depressed, you want to quit, you want to give up, remind yourself why you got out of bed. If that doesn't light a fire on your rear end, I don't know what will. Something I always say to people is, I remember you always tell me this about your children because you have beautiful children yourself, okay, is you give up your life for your children. Okay, that's the easiest thing I say to people a lot of times. I'll say, well, do you have children? And people will say, yes. I say, would you give up your life for them? And typically, without even thinking twice, they'll say, absolutely. And I'll say, okay, there's your why. There's your why. Every time you want to quit, when you have to make a call, a sales call, just say to yourself, this, this next call might be the reason why your children have the best life they could possibly live. Would you dial the phone? I mean, if I were to say to you, make one more, this next call, this next number here on this sheet of paper, this is going to be the call that gives your children financial freedom. You're going to make that next call. If that doesn't make the next call, then your children are not your why. Yeah. And I think you're a horrible parent then because <laughs> for God's sakes, a parent will not give sacrifice for the child, whatever. But I mean, but this is stuff I'm talking to. Identify your why, okay? And when you do, it's, it's game on. Like, game on and get ready. You know, as far as building a business goes, what I always tell people is identify your goal I call it reverse engineering. Start at the end and work your way backwards. Identify your goal. Step two is identify the success-oriented actions it takes to achieve the goal. And step three is what I call the bridge of execution. Cross that bridge. You have to then execute the tasks. I have people tell me all the time, uh, Nikki, that, you know, 
Tasha, I want to be a millionaire. I want to make millions of dollars. And I'll say, okay, so if I were to tell you no sick days, no vacation days, I want you to work seven days a week for the next five straight years, 10 hours a day, nonstop. All right, would you do that? I'm not kidding you. You should see how many people are like, <laughs> whoa, wait a second. I say, okay, then, then you just lied to me. You, you don't want to be a millionaire. You want it, you, you say you want it, but you're not willing to, to, to truly make the sacrifice it takes to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll come up with a thousand people. When I do my posts on social media with that stuff, people, I get attacked all over the place with people saying, you know, that's not having a life. And if you're, if, if you're happy dying, I hope you could take all your money with you. They just don't get it. I mean, try to go have a conversation with Michael Jordan and go and tell him, say, um, I, I don't think you had a life. Right. You know, but playing basketball. I've got a feeling that Michael Jordan was all about basketball seven days a week when he competed in that arena. That's so, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's about what's important you know, to you, I mean, isn't it? It's about what's important to you. It's about what you're willing to do. It depends when yeah. you want to have it. It's, that doesn't mean you have, to, you, you have to have no life to become a millionaire. But I'll tell you what, man, it ain't easy to get there. Nobody hands it to you. Only 1% of the United States. As a matter of fact, I think the statistic is, is I think it's 0.1% of the United States is an actual millionaire by definition, which is, you know, when you start talking about a million cash or a million, in, you know, okay. I've had people say, hey, my house is worth 400 grand. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, that's a stupid county assessment. It's done with half what you think, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's point one. To, to become a millionaire, nobody's going to hand it to you. You got to work for it. You got to work real hard to get there. Yeah. So it just depends. Yeah. Well, and you know what? That takes me to another thought process here. You, you know, as I explained in the beginning, um, in your introduction, you do motivational speaking. And that was clear from the conversation we just had right this minute. But um, what, uh, what are some of the things you talk about in your motivational uh, classes that you do? I sincerely appreciate it. I really don't give so much motivational speeches, I suppose. A lot of people will tell me that you it comes should. out that way. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. It's what I tell people, it, the talks I go and give, you know, I've been to University of Wyoming. I've been there. I've been to quite a few universities, um, Notre Dame. Um, when I've gone to university to give talks, truly it's been like at their college of business. I've given talks at, uh, to athletic departments and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's more so just the basic foundational principle of don't quit, don't give up, identify your dreams, identify your goals, come up with a plan, come up with a set of actions and stay the course. And truly through that, with that theme, with that theme, I then give my own story to show where I've been, uh, where, where am I getting my information from and what has it done for me to validate what I'm telling you? Um, when it comes to achieving a goal, a very high level of success, I wrestled at Oklahoma State University. My college wrestling coach won six world titles and two Olympic gold medals. I was his training partner when he trained for the 92 Olympics, his last of his world titles in his second Olympic gold medal. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the most decorated wrestler in U.S. history. He's seen as the greatest international wrestler in United States history. He's probably one of the top 20 all-time in world history. Um, that's a big damn thing to hold. I mean, a lot of people might not say, they, I don't know wrestling that good. But believe it or not, it's a pretty big sport. It's an international sport. Um, I trained with him twice a day. I saw firsthand, I mean, people might not know who John Smith is. Back when he was competing, people would say he's a, a, a common name for an uncommon champion. But I'll say to people, do you know who Michael Jordan is? Well, he was the Michael Jordan of wrestling. He still is, as a matter of fact. Mm. And I say to people, imagine training with Michael Jordan twice a day, one-on-one. I'm not talking in games of 10-on-10 or five, whatever the basketball thing is. I'm talking one-on-one going to the arena with him at five o'clock in the morning, just you and him unlocking the front door, walking in, 
going into the court. It's just you and him for one hour. Go yeah. training. And then do the same thing in the evening and on the weekends. And go do that for five straight months of your life. And then for five years, Michael Jordan is your personal coach for five years with his physical hands on you for five straight years of your life at the most impressionable point of your life that you can go to. Now, mind you, not only him, but I also had Scottie Pippen. I had Kenny Monday, three-time world champion, Kendall Cross Olympic gold medalist. I had an army of those people. I had almost the whole entire Chicago Bulls team with their hands on me for five years of my life. So I saw what it took to be the best. I wasn't there. I was not nowhere near the level of those individuals that I named, but I lived with them. I trained with them. I was around them. I was trained by them. Mm -hmm. So I saw what it took to be great. I saw what it took to be great. I applied that to what I did in business. And honestly, my company, we're one of the top, um, we're in the top 25 percentile of, of lending. I'm wearing Inc. 5000s, one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. I was just in Forbes magazine. Um, Forbes had me in on an article they had rebuilding Cleveland, things like that. Oh, wow. um, we're pretty successful. We're coming along. And I simply took all of that and I applied it to what I do. And so that's the story I tell. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's, you know, without going off on too many different areas, that, but that's the story I tell the people is it's not the story of me wrestling in Oklahoma state. It's the story of, Listen, identify your dreams, identify your goals, never quit, never give up on them, never let other people tell you um, that you can't do something. Um, you have to believe in it and you have to be willing to make the sacrifices it takes to achieve those goals if you are true to them. Right. And you know, and these are I, the things I talk about. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I really wanted to, you know, to, to get out there. Do you have a slogan um, for kind of like what you tell your newcomers? Because I, I knew that I just wanted to have you on because you, you just tell people you're really good at helping people succeed at being successful. And um, I wrote that down. And I was like, well, it kind of sounds like a slogan for me. But I want to know, how, like, if you could put it in a sentence, and I know that you said, get out of bed, have a how, where, why, whatever. Is there like a just an underlying just thing that you have to have in order to be successful? In my opinion, I'll give you the first thought of the day that I think of every single day I wake up. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Be thankful and be appreciative. Nice. Carry a grateful heart. Yeah. I mean, I was almost murdered in 1997. June 19, 1997, I was stabbing the chest in downtown Cleveland. I almost died. Uh, the person was standing behind somebody else, reached around them, shoved the knife in my chest. Um, I almost died. That person was only given five years in prison. I think it should have been a lot longer than that, but what happened, happened, whatever. Wow. Um, since that moment in time, I didn't have an epiphany. I didn't have an out-of-body experience. Um, I've never been to church except for weddings and funerals. I'm, I've never read the Bible. Mm -hmm. But since that moment in time, I've come to appreciate life itself because I remember the moment at which I was about to check out of this world. And again, it wasn't an epiphany. And I spoke to God and I saw the, the tide, the, the water split or something like that. It was simply, I remember that moment. Every morning I wake up today, every single morning, the first two words in my head are just thank you. I'm just thankful to be here. If you can be thankful and always remember, there's always somebody who has it worse. Yeah. You never know the battle that somebody's fighting. I have a very good friend, um, Bubba Strauss, my friend Bubba. He's Garth Brooks' biggest fan. As a matter of fact, <laughs> he is a flag guy at Garth Brooks' concerts now, where if you go to the last seven concerts Garth Brooks has done, okay. during the concert, I want to say it's during... Um, uh, you know, dream is like a river. Ever changing the <laughs> It's called the river. I, I can. Yeah. It's called the river. Okay. Um, that song, 
Garth Brooks finds the one guy in the crowd for the last seven concerts because Bubba is now his flag guy. Aww. And Bubba will have a flag for the city they're in. He hands it to Garth Brooks, and Garth Brooks goes on the stage and walks around the flag and, and stuff like that. And Bubba's his flag guy. <laughs> so Bubba, Bubba did a 10-minute interview. Garth Brooks called him and did a 10-minute interview with him because Bubba was diagnosed with stage 4 liver cancer. Oh, wow. Um, now, Bubba was the flag guy before he got the diagnosed last summer. But, um, but my friend Bubba, stage four liver cancer. God bless him. Um, great guy. Stage four liver cancer, though. You know, that's that's a tough one, man. There's That's that's a tough one to work out of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's one thing to say, hey, I, you know, I, 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 I broke my leg and I, I've got to get go through recovery and physical therapy and go through yeah. stuff like that. Bubba's uh Stage four is a tough one. Your liver cancer. That's a tough yeah. one. I can't say that, that you're going to, you know, that's a tough one to get out of. Um, there's people out there who have it worse than anybody out there who says, hush, I've got it bad. I could find somebody who has it worse. Right. Be thankful for what you do have. Mm-hmm. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have right. and be thankful for that. That's my number one biggest message to everybody. If you can be thankful, I can work with you. You know, I always tell people, like, when people come to me and say, Hush, you know, you, Hush, you say, you know, to make a million dollars, this, this, and that, whatever. You know, I'm at a job, I can't do that. And I say to them, okay, congratulations. If you say you can't do something, then I congratulate you, can't do it. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm not going to argue and debate with you. Why am I going to try to convince you of something if you're already convinced you can't achieve it? I want to talk to the people who say, Hush, I think I can, but, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I can work with you. Hush, you know what? I've got it bad, but there's other people who have it worse, and I'm thankful that I have this. Okay, I can work with you. I am so averse to negativity. Yeah. There's nothing you can tell me. You cannot hold a negative thought within me. You can't. Like, you can, you can tell me right now where my company's being shut down. As long as I'm going to be alive tomorrow, honestly, I'm fine. Like, yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> I got, if I got another it. shot this day, <laughs> I'll rebuild it. That's Money right. comes and goes. Money comes and goes, okay? It's not about the car you drive. I've had real nice cars. I've had real cheap cars. It's not about the house you own, what you live in. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to understand that first. And then you can start going down the road. I will tell you, having money, being debt-free, being able to work when you choose to work under your terms and not somebody else's, that is damn liberating. Yeah. So you know what? Am I happy that I sacrificed vacation, sick days, and all of that stuff up to this point in my life to get to where I am, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy I almost, put, I almost put myself into bankruptcy to get to where I am. Wow. Um, had I not gone through those, those times, I would not be where I am today. Right. So the truth is, those times built me for this moment here. Um, and I just believe it every moment, I, every time I wake up. I, I told some of my employees last week that um, my why it's like background music that plays in my head. It's literally just, I know what my why is, and it's just yeah. background music. It's constant. It's constant. So you can't shake me. You can't shake it out. I mean, I want other people to feel that and believe it also. And those it. are, that's what I tell people. I think people can feel it when they, like when they hear you and listen to you. Your energy is very um, contagious. And I, <laughs> I, that's one of the reasons why I had to have you on. I wanted to hear the story. Um, I love your story of success. I love how it didn't come to you easily. I love how you're so positively focused and that that's at the end of the day, your message is that, you know, if you think basically therefore you are, <laughs> you know, I, think, I appreciate it. Yeah. I love that about you. Um, I wanted, we talked a little bit earlier 
about the fact that I'm in California. You were talking to a guy earlier in Texas, you said, and you're based out of Ohio. So what I wanted to um, say quickly before we kind of wrap it up, who can utilize your services? Any person buying an owner-occupied residentially zoned home. So first time home buyer or a second or a 10th time home buyer. Somebody buying a home. I don't really work with investors. Um, I don't do alternative types of loans. I do very traditional vanilla loans, Mm -hmm. conventional FHA, VA, USDA. I do traditional loans Mm -hmm. and that's what I do. And I'm very reachable and accessible. And so the state, does it matter what state they're in? I'm in 35 states. Okay. So I'm in 35 states. California is definitely one of them. And I've applied to all 50 states. Uh So we're 15 away from completing the entire country. Okay. Quite honestly, New York is probably two years away. Okay. Um, I've heard New York takes two to three years to get approved. We actually applied 12 months ago in New York. Okay. So we're 12 months in. We're just sitting and waiting. And I was told it's two to three years. Um, Missouri is going to be a little slower. You need to have a physical employee there. When it comes to the other, I only have 15 more states to get licensed and I've got all 50. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the other 13, because those two are going to be a little tough, I'll take a little longer. The other 13, I should have those in the next, some of them, they're, they're rolling in by the day. Oh, so nice. so I'm in most of them. I mean, I'm in 35 of them today. I guarantee within the next 36 days, I'm probably in the 40, 45, and then we'll be waiting on the last few. So can people find the list of um, what you're approved for right now on your website? No, my website's horrible. It's not as good as it should be. I apologize. I should. It's one of the 9,000 things I need to be doing that I wish I could tell you um, I did perfectly. But I do have faults. There are kinks in the armor, and that's one of them. Okay. The best thing is call me, okay. 216-780-1103. That's my cell phone. It's glued to me 24-7. All right, say that um, number again. I would say just call me, 216-780-1103. Okay, and uh, is there any other ways that they can get a hold of you? Do you answer social media? I do answer social media that you can message me on social media and absolutely. Okay. What is your Instagram handle? Oh my God. Hashtag Afi, I think. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, but I'm just, I, I, I'm not, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not. Let me look it up sorry, for you. Okay. I apologize. That's okay. Hashtag Afi. I think it's Hashtag Afi, just my name. It is. I just had you up for one second. I think it is. It is Hesh, which is spelt very... Um, not how it sounds, <laughs> which everyone... K-H-A-S-H, which is the correct way to spell it. K-H-A-S-H. That's right. And then it's underscore Sagafi. Go ahead. Spell your last yep. name. S-A-G-H-A-F-I. That's right. So there's just an underscore in the middle of there. Everybody, if you want to get a hold of him and ask him any of your questions, or um, I'm sure he'll give advice even if he can't help you out, but... Oh, I'll, I always do. It doesn't matter what state you're in. I'll give you the best advice, the best direction I could possibly give. I, that's my number one, um, my number one thing. My goal is to help as many people as I can. So it doesn't matter what state they're in. They just call me, and I'll give them the best direction I can give them. Yeah. Well, I wanted to play a commercial, your little commercial that you did, um, and um, it's it's your real estate agent, Liberty Home Mortgage. So I'm just going to give a quick play, just because it's one of my faves. Oh my goodness. Hi. Are you a real estate agent who's looking for a lender who answers their phone, who knows what they're doing and is responsive for your needs? And even more so than that, a loan officer who knows how to work the difficult deals. Maybe your client has a bankruptcy or foreclosure or collections against them or judgment, and you're looking for a lender who works with clients of that nature. Well, then you've come to the right place. 
I'm Hesh Sagafi of Liberty Home Mortgage, and those are the transactions that we specialize in. We specialize in difficult deals, and we're only a phone call away. You can call us any day of the week at any time, and that phone number, 440-838-5291, it goes right to my phone. I'm the one that makes the decision. I'm the one that's going to talk to your clients, and I'm going to be the one that handles the transaction from the start to the finish. And when I say someone's pre-approved and they're getting a loan, it actually means something, and we do deliver what we say. So if you're looking for a lender who you can count on, and we're the ones to use. Again, thank you so much. There you go. I love that commercial. Is that is all the information on there still correct? Uh, phone number is and stuff like that. I'm sure Don't if it's a commercial it, it's out there, it's, it's going to get you yeah, where, where it needs to get you. Okay. Well, I just wanted to end with that because I thought it was... I thought it was really sweet and, and it kind of gives you the nuts and bolts of what your company does. Just I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day and being here with me and um, I'd like to have you on again. And um, I've got, I've got a couple ideas as we were talking for a couple different episodes, but uh, we'll see if you have the time. I don't know. <laughs> I sincerely appreciate your show and still letting me on this thing when there's been way more famous people than me on there. Um, so I wish nothing <laughs> but the best and I'll come on anytime. All right, guys, that is how the successful succeed at being successful. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. That's it for today. See you guys next week on Nick Talk.